Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Today on Team Anywhere, we invite Brian Ware, CISA Assistant Director for Cybersecurity and former CEO at both Digital Sandbox and Haystacks. In this new world of remote teams, Brian emphasizes the importance of transparency, intentionality, and over-communicating. Brian insists that the most important thing you can have on a highly effective team is news traveling fast, especially bad news. Brian encourages re-looking at how, where, and when to have specific meetings. Brian has implemented senior leadership team on-sites where decision makers get together with safety precautions honored to re-engage the strategy, engage in conflict, and to hold each other accountable. Brian notes that charisma is not going to take you as far as you did pre-COVID. Employees are using the same camera to speak to their family, friends, and loved ones as they are in connecting to their managers and leaders. They're looking for humility, empathy, trustworthiness, and thoughtfulness. Leaders will need to spend the time to be intentional, effective, real and caring, focused on where the company is going, connected to the grand mission, and doing all of this elegantly and from anywhere, all at the same time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a, another episode of Team Anywhere. And we feel very honored today to have a leader, an entrepreneur in the world of cybersecurity, Brian Ware. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, glad, to, uh, glad to be here. Happy to do this. Thanks. Thanks so much. So to kick off, um, tell us just a little bit about your leadership uh, journey in terms of um, companies and teams that you have had to um, develop, put together, uh, attempt to move forward in different directions. Sure. Well, um, I'm an engineer by uh, by background. And so I started out like a lot of engineers do as an individual and then leading projects and then leading small teams and uh, pretty early uh, had the opportunity to start a company, uh, which really was a project and an engineering team much more so than a, than a you know, a, a traditional CEO role. Um, Venture financed that company, a company called Digital Sandbox. And we did, uh, we did pretty well. We created a really interesting uh, niche capability that we were highly regarded in. So it's a very high performing team, a very mission focused team. I sold uh, Digital Sandbox to a private equity backed company that was really designed to buy companies and merge those companies together and create a whole that was greater than the sum of the parts. And I transitioned into a chief technology officer role to help with that acquisition strategy and then the integration strategy. And um, I learned new things in that role uh, that were different than being a CEO, being an advisor um, mm -hmm. to a CEO. Um, I also had to learn a lot of things that were hard of, about integrating different cultures of companies and integrating different teams and, um, 
you know, well, there's so many things that we could say about that. I later got the opportunity to be the CEO of that company. And uh, that was really cool because I had spent two years in a different capacity as, as a CTO, uh, which I felt like was kind of like going to grad school. You know, I got to take a break from the day-to-day -day job of being the CEO, watch another very capable public company CEO uh, and his team, how they did things, uh, learn about the hard things of integration. Uh, and so I felt like when I was a, had the chance to be a CEO all over again, um, I was really ready. And, and I think that's where I um, put all the pieces together to become the kind of leader that, that I wanted to be. And um, we had uh, some really good success um, uh, for a few years. And, and then I, uh, you know, we sold that company. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, what I wanted to do next. And I had the opportunity to, after probably 25 years of working in the private sector, to come into the government and, and to, um, uh, what I'm doing right now is I, I lead a team in the Department of Homeland Security inside of our cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency. I lead the cybersecurity uh, mission there. It's about a thousand feds and about another couple thousand contractors. So bigger enterprise than I've ever run, a very different kind of um, culture and rules and ways that things are done. And so it's been really a, an eye-opening experience and really rewarding experience to be an entrepreneur, a small company, fast-paced technology person in a um, large uh, kind of bureaucratic organization, but also one with enormous resources um, compared to anything I've ever had before. Right, right. Um, enormous resources and, and really a, a very compelling mission, like a mission that yeah. is, is really important and really hard. Um, and so, uh, again, my, my approach is very different than the approach of my, my team, that, that my leadership team that works for me now who have been in the government their whole careers, 20 years or more. Wow. Um, and so the, it's not friction. It's like the, it's the way that we engage is very different than people who spent their whole life in the private sector and startups or whatever else. So it's been sure. a, a great and eye-opening opportunity for me and one that has allowed me really to refine and hone parts of the, uh, the you know, the, the, the qualities that make for a, for a, uh, a CEO or a leader. Fabulous. And of course, that leads right into what is your philosophy? Has it always been the same? And, and what is it now? You know, I think parts of the philosophy have always been the same. And parts of it, you have to learn through experience. And my experiences in, in, in some of those new ones are probably not all that unique. So the things that are true uh, throughout my leadership journey have been trying to be very personal, um, very, um, very human to have kind of genuine relationships with as many of my uh, team as I possibly can get to all of them if possible. Um, to be honest, um, to try to speak the truth and, and to speak the truth in a way that allows your my leaders to speak the truth to me too, to not have mm -hmm. to hide the truth or hide, hide bad news. One of the things I say is I want bad news to travel as fast as good news. Mm -hmm. and, and really, I'd actually rather it travel faster. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that takes uh, 
Um, it takes leadership and it takes the right culture to do that. You know, maybe some of the things that I've had to learn and learn because I couldn't figure out why things weren't going the right ways. I have to focus. I think we all have to focus on communicating a lot more than we ever thought we would have to, to do. You know, it's, um, I felt like I was pretty clear when I would say things and then I would be surprised when, you know, for whatever reason, we weren't doing what we had just discussed and, and weren't going in the direction that we had just discussed. And so I, I think that there's a lot of experience out there that says that people hear things differently. Um, they need to hear things a few times. Some people um, hear things, you know, with, with their ears, but other people need to read. Um, and so, so really, I, I think that I hate the idea of over-communication because as an engineer, over-communication sounds to me like inefficiency. And actually, I've seen organizations that really pride themselves on over-communicating, and it really is just a lot of noise at a certain point. You have to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. But under-communicating is way worse. Right. <laughs> it's way worse. And so right. um, I, I think whatever feels to me like I might be over-communicating is probably a lot closer to just about right. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so I, I think that's one of the, you know, the hallmarks. And I'd say the last thing, and this is, there are all kinds of ways to make a living and there are all kinds of ways to make a difference. But I really strongly believe in doing something that I'm, that I'm passionate about that's going to move the needle. And I'd rather do something that I'm passionate about and it's going to have an impact than to do something where I could make a good living or, or build mm-hmm. a big company or build a big team or what, whatever. There's all kinds of considerations that drive and motivate a lot of people. But I find that it has been really, it is easiest for me to be a leader when I believe that what we're doing has to be done. Mm-hmm. When I believe that it is so important that we get it right. And I felt like I was leading a team that was, indistinguishable from any others, that the work that we were doing was not differentiated from any others, that wouldn't be particularly satisfying for me. Uh, but it also, it, you, you just attract different kinds of people when, when you're getting people to buy into uh, to, to, to a vision and to a mission and that is, that's, that's powerful and compelling. And that's, that's, the, that's the spot I'm always trying to look for, right? Not that, Fabulous. Uh, yeah. Well, Ryan. Right. Let me oh, ask gonna... question. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you keep people connected to the mission when we're now completely distributed? Um, <laughs> is it is it easier when you're in the room with people? Is it not easier when you're distributed? And and then what practices are you taking on such that people don't forget the mission? I, I would just imagine in 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 what you're up to, which is you know keeping you. In, the United States of America secure, that that mission would be not a hard sell. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Um, I'm just wondering how you keep people connected to that mission when they're, you know, at home with their kids or their dog, um, but they're definitely not in the office with you. Yeah. I mean, Mitch, there's a ton to what you just said. I mean, there are a lot of people who aren't attracted to this mission for a lot of really good reasons. I mean, in general, you can make more money working in the government than you can somewhere else. Um, uh, in general, our technology is a little more out of date than you can get somewhere else. Um, in general, we have a lot more rules and things um, that are harder for some people to, to feel like they want to live by. So not everyone is cut out for this job, even if they're technically right for it or care about it. And so um, I just want to park that as just, uh, it's not quite as easy to get people to sign up as you might think. Uh, but the, the heart of your question, I think is really important. Like we are distributed. 
we and and the the threats that we face, the things that we're trying to do, they're not slowing down. If anything, there are more of them faster. And I think that you would logically believe that when you're in a distributed operation, when you're in a, not, a, a different than your normal operation, that, that you as an organization, we would slow down. And, and that's, that's, that can happen. And we can't afford to slow down when the, the job that we have um, is speeding up. That mismatch causes, uh, causes problems, right? And so I think that the, in, in the heart of your question, there's a conflict between a number of, of different things. On the one hand, we can't have all those little interactions that keep everyone on the same um, pace and knowing what everyone's doing because we're bumping into each other, you know, around the coffee pot or on our way into and out of a meeting. Those are harder to do. Um, on the other hand, though, none of us as individuals can do all of the things that we used to do. We have, we as individuals and as small teams and hopefully as a whole organization say, you know what, right now, um, some of those nice to haves, we're just not going to get those done. We're going to focus on the gotta haves, the, the, the things that are critical, the things that, um, that, that are most important. And I think that that we forced ourselves to simplify. We forced ourselves to focus on what really moves the needle we should probably be doing that all the time. Mm -hmm. But you, when you run into a resource-constrained environment, that's the, the logical thing to do, right? You just constrain, with the resource constraint, you constrain the things that you're gonna focus on. And right now, our resource constraint is just that we don't have as easy access to all the people and all the tools as we used to. So like, what are we gonna make sure it gets done? And in those constraints come huge opportunities, like focus, right? Focus <laughs> is a way to win. Focus is a way to make sure that you're not doing those things that you know we're, we're not as essential and I think that by simplifying our focus we've got a lot better alignment of our our leaders to the mission and my expectation is that my leaders are carrying that down to, to their organizational leadership teams and all the way down to just that individual performer and so um, it's some of my thoughts to that uh, to that issue. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors, Marymount University, Arlington, Virginia, School of Business and Technology, Innovative Solutions, Upskilling for the What's Next Economy at marymount.edu, and Oyster Organizational Development, dedicated to higher performance, business success, and leveraging teams. They can be found at oysterod.com. And finally, WeJungo. Designing customized talent acquisition solutions at wejungo.com. We're all trying to manage our complex lives right now in ways that we didn't fully anticipate. And so you may not choose to turn that on. And I had, as a leader, I just had to direct it. I just had to say, finally, guys, this is what we got to do. And, yeah. and I, yeah. I believe that it is and will continue to pay dividends. We, we want to still be, we, we still want to be people with personal connections to each other. And I think that um, seeing is, is a big part of, uh, adds a lot to just hearing and speaking. Right. No, for sure. For sure. So um, there was another, uh, and yet you keep marching on and trying to create the team and, uh, and work with the team um, uh, to have that more of the personal touch. So you said you started to have um, insight meetings. 
Uh, yes. Describe those a little bit. Yeah, so there are some things that I feel like still um, we did better when we were all together. Um, I'm sitting in front of my whiteboard. I love getting, I always have my whole career. I love getting engineers together around a whiteboard to diagram out a hard problem and to understand it and to argue about it. And I've done the same thing with, you know, how to make a winning proposal or how to play our, present our financials to an investor. This, this idea of the whiteboard and the conference room and getting around the table is kind of ingrained in the way that I have um, uh, solved hard problems through my career. And, and again, I'm not alone in that. Um, so I, I long for that, but we can't do it all the time. So we have to find virtual ways to, 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 to solve hard problems together while we're not in person together. Um, but, you know, as we've gotten a better understanding of how, how the virus works and how the virus spreads and, and ways that we, the kinds of protections we can take in place, um, I started thinking about what we used to do in the good old days where we'd have a quarterly offsite meeting. We get the whole leadership team together for a full day. We do things to build um, team cohesion and personal depth in relationships. But again, we've used those offsites to break with the routine, get out of our offices. Uh, even if we all had offices side by side, get mm -hmm. out of those offices and get into a place where the distractions were gone, the common environment was gone, and, and we could think differently and think differently together. That was the whole idea of the offsite. So what we're doing now, I've started monthly onsite meetings for my leadership team. Um, so we, we, we're coming together to calibrate on our strategy and hold ourselves accountable for the execution of the strategy. And the interesting question is, well, why can't you do that remotely? And I think, I think you can, except um, I want people to be able to break, you know, get out of their house, right. get out of that place where you were, um, uh, change the scenery, remove the distractions, and then we have that opportunity to have a bit of, um, you know, it brings back the actual in-person water cooler conversation between yeah. the breaks and everything else. And, and I feel like there's some, you know, there's different members of my team have more or less caution than others. Mm -hmm. um, and I completely understand it. But by the way, our meetings are, I don't even have to use the words strongly encouraged or anything else. It is, uh, it is okay if you are not going to come to this meeting because you have a compromised immune system or your spouse or your whatever, mm -hmm. that, that's fine. But, you know, my expectation is, and, and what we've had is the, almost everyone in the leadership team has come together and we're sitting far apart, talking through masks with muffled right. voices. But I, I, I feel, and maybe it's an emotional feeling more so than an intellectual feeling. I feel like when we leave those on-site meetings, um, we have a better understanding. It's a better, it's an easier place, particularly to raise conflict or contentious issues. It feels like it's a little easier when you can fully read the body language. Um, and, and not that we have a ton of conflict, but we do have some, we have issues we've got to address where there's no clear uh, indication that this is right and this is wrong, or we got to have, we have to go this way. We can't go that way. It takes some back and forth and argumentation to get there. And I, I like dealing with things on a day-to-day -day basis through, through teams and through emails and through small meetings and regular meetings. And I'm, I love getting together uh, on this once a month to say, all right, how are we doing? Let's sure. unpack, unpack it all and let's put things back together.
Right, right. Yeah, the, uh, folks are saying that they have uh, and do need to build in some of the face-to-face -face times, but then that also means reorganizing somewhat, highly using chat, for example, during those meetings so other people could listen and add voice and, in fact, bring up some of the conflict things because some the people in the room aren't. So, again, all of these nuances and, and let, well, let's try this. Let's try that. Um, Mitch? Yeah, Brian, you know, I'm really intrigued by that solution. It, it uh, kind of connects to the, to the last podcast that we did is it used to be before COVID. Um, you know, if, uh, you're familiar with uh, Patrick Lencioni at all, Brian? I'm not a very smart man, Mitch, so no, I'm not. <laughs> okay, all right. Anyways, but I'm, I'm willing to learn. <laughs> all right. So, so Patrick Lencioni is a, who's a very smart man. Um, and, uh, you know, he basically said, you know, you'd have your, you'd have your stand-up meetings, you'd have your, um, you'd have your weekly meetings and you'd have a monthly more of like a strategy meeting. It seems like now, Brian, at least what you've done is, um, you'd have certain meetings that you're going to have, um, when everyone is just distributed, like at your house. And then now what you're saying is, but what we're also doing is, is every month we're coming together with masks on, you know? Um, so I'm wondering, do you then in your, in your head as, as an engineer, I uh, think, um, well, okay, so there are certain conversations we would actually now have that we would do over Zoom every, let's say every day, every week. And then there would be certain conversations that we would have in person. And because we're in person, that would pretty much... Um, categorize the, the types of conversations that we actually would have. And I'm wondering if you have, have given any thought to that or have just come by it uh, organically with what type of conversations we would have over Zoom or Teams and then what kind of conversations we would have when we actually are in a room together. Yeah, I mean, some of it is that there's no clear pro or con between one or the other necessarily. Um, but my, my view is that things that we do routinely, things that we do on an everyday and an operational basis, we should do those remotely and distributed. We should make them formulaic. And I don't mean formulaic in a bad way. I mean mm -hmm. procedural and systematic. Um, I personally hate reviewing complex spreadsheets on a screen it's, uh, um, and other kinds of things. I feel like I need to see them in paper. Paper is harder to come by in the home than it was in the office. I, I realize they're home printers, but still. Um, but, but, but realistically, the, the, the hiring spreadsheet that I see every week, I, that meeting on how we're doing and on personnel, that's easily done. It's a status update. It's a simple decision. It's a simple review. It's the approval of something. All those operational things, um, they need to be systematic and reproducible and and they can be very conducive to telework um, when we want to make bigger decisions when we want to hold ourselves accountable when we want to try to brainstorm and think of something new i could also do that just this you know i could do that re remotely but i think that there's additional benefit to breaking the space to changing the space there's additional benefit to see more than the face of the person, you know, uh, like there's just so many things that are better. And so I would, uh, I wouldn't be particularly in favor of just using that time to just review basic stuff. Um, 
right. or to spend a half a day doing eight 30 minute meetings. That also mm -hmm. wouldn't make sense. 30 minute meetings are perfect for video conferencing, but four hour meetings are not. You know, right. four hours is too long to sit behind a little screen um, for most things. So that's, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. You, there was something too that I think you both touched on. I, I do want to just mention the, the problem with physical space that we didn't used to think about as much, but we think about now, is there's only so many people that can fit into it, right? There's really no limit of people who can fit into your virtual space mm -hmm. if, if you choose. Um, and even my biggest conference rooms, our training rooms, once you start putting people six feet or more apart, yeah. there's only so many people you can get in there. And so it's not just that we have virtual meetings or we have in-person meetings. They're the hybrid meetings. And I think that this is right. part of what we, we're all going to need to do. Um, when we're in our, our leadership onsite, we still use teams to bring in our remote uh, rest of the leadership team. So I want my, I call them subdivisions. I want my subdivision leaders and their deputies in person if I can, but they all have branch chiefs and others who need to hear parts of this discussion because if they just hear the result of it, they didn't see all the sausage making that got us to why this is the right answer. Um, but they don't have to be in the room for that. They, they can come in through teams. I think this is an area that needs at least on our side, that is an area where we can improve the technology a bit. We need to make that virtual hybrid experience more compelling to the people that are, you know, that are just coming in through a screen. And I know it can be done. It's just our space hasn't been set up as well for it as I would like. Right, catching yeah the 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 extra technology, the visuals, right? All that. I remember you once holding a meeting, all staff meeting in another company, and you had like eight screens up. Right, because you wanted every face or combination of faces. And at that time, that's all you could do. Yes. Now yeah, that was because you could only fit so many people in the room and so right. you wanted to replicate, right? Yeah. But, but this is the same thing, but very, very different. All of the people are distributed all over the, yeah. the U.S. Yeah. Um, how can we make them um, a part of that? How can we better make them a part of that meeting? And so... You know, when you think about the way you set up your boardroom or the way you set up your training room, you maybe didn't really set it up with that in mind. Right. Some, some, some right. companies did, ours did not. And so we just need to retool it um, to, to make that experience better for our, our right. remote, uh, remote folks. And that's where real estate comes in too. Yeah, so, it's real estate, you know, it's technology, yeah. and it's yeah. being intentional, you know, that, I think that's the other you, thing. You're right, Brian, like just now focusing on, I want that kind of meeting to be the best it can, that kind mm -hmm. of brainstorming around that will be fabulous. Um, when you figure that out, let me know. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, really, it's almost, Brian, it's like it's an algorithm you're thinking about in your head. Yeah. There, there would be, you know, there would be a maximum capacity of people <laughs> per room, that would be effective for that. And then that's about it. Once we hit that number, whether it's 100 or 125, then we really don't need any larger rooms because we could, we could mix the technology of, of online with, uh, let's say, your subdivisions who could you know, sit in a room with another 50, 75 people somewhere else. So I really do see that. And I really do see uh, a lot of solutions coming out of that as well. And I really do appreciate how you use the word intentional. We have to be very, very intentional about it. 
and um, and I just think you know before COVID we've just been very sloppy, mm-hmm. uh, and you know we've been getting better as a society, um, but uh, this I think really forces us to put things in perspective to find what is the most effective way of of gathering. Let's say, yeah, I mean. A lot of CEOs in particular rely on their um, charisma and being personal and being able to convince you, um, you know, get you to follow because of things that are just flat out easier to do um, person to person and face to face. Um, seeing that someone is genuine and they mean what they say, you know, meeting someone for the first time and, and knowing, being able to kind of size them up and say, yeah, you know, do I want to go where this person is going to lead me? Is, is he legitimate? Is, is he, uh, is he have my interests in mind? Whatever the, the, the issues are with your employees or your partners or your customers, you know, I have, I feel like I've always been able to come across personally as a, as a, trustworthy and thoughtful, um, you know, partner. Now, when you are only meeting people for the first time virtually, and particularly when it's without, you know, video or whatever, it's harder for those things to come across. This is like, it's kind of like, these are my signature strengths that I've relied on so much to get so many things done that now I have to realize, well, I don't have those in quite the same way anymore. So maybe... I can't spring something up on people in a meeting like I normally would have been able to because I could have persuaded and, and everything else. Maybe I have to send out, these are the three things I'd like to discuss or come to agreement on in advance. By the way, you know this about me, Jenny. I hate that part. Um, Cause it takes, it feels to me, it takes more work. Like it takes, because it takes more time. Um, but I, I'm finding that my extemporaneous skills that I've relied on for so long, don't translate as well into this environment. Uh. And honestly, had I prepared better for meetings before and communicated better before, and by the way, agreeing and documenting after, had I done that in my, in prior to telework all the time, I would have been way more successful. I just didn't have to do it then, right? That's now right. I have to do it, so. The environment is forcing uh, some new behaviors. Indeed. You're comfortable. I love how you stated it all well. I relied on them. Now I, I'm, I'm go to, I go to those strengths and whoops, they're not as effective. Well, let me give you a piece of feedback. Uh-oh. So here you are and we're talking and uh, I find you to be uh, compelling uh, someone who I want to listen to, someone who says, let's focus on these three things. Uh, I'm going to follow you. So what do you think that is about you? Because there is still something in this particular environment. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, I think that you have to have something interesting to say to cut through the noise of, I mean, this screen and the conversation we're having is no, it's the same screen that people look at their Facebook, the same screen that they stream their news or their Netflix or their whatever it is. So the the competition for attention is harder. So you have to say something's interesting. And I think that people have to say something that is 
credible and, and trustworthy. And, and when you do, when, when there's that honesty, maybe some humility, and then something interesting to say, it's, it's, it, you, can, that's, you can get people's attention and you can get yes. people to, to, to follow you. Um, maybe, maybe that is one of the hardest things right now is to realize that the same screen that we're hearing our boss through or hearing our employees through is the one that they're getting, you know, their family connections with and they're streaming and everything else. That distraction make, make, probably makes your, your content and, and your, the chemistry that you have all that more important and all that more compelling. Mm-hmm. I think, I think what you're saying, Brian, is that if I'm talking to my grandpa and my, and my parents and my cousin um, <laughs> to the same medium, then you as a leader better show up kind of like my grandpa, my, 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 my parents and my, and my, mm. my cousin. Because if you're coming off as something completely different, then it just it just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, you, you yeah, I haven't given that a lot of thought, but Mitch, I think that's right. I mean, you can't just come across as the boss. You can't just bark out orders. Yeah. You like, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you do, you're not likely to be heard in the right way, and you're not likely to get the engagement and response that that we needed to get. I mean, it. I feel like many of the things that we are trying to do as, as kind of broader knowledge workers are a bit harder to do in this environment. So yeah, you, you better come across as, as um, some combination of understanding and empathetic as well as candid and personable and, and truthful mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and realize that everyone's highly distracted. So let's like, like get to the point. Like what is it we're trying to do? Let's simplify, focus, focus. Yeah. So you, you mentioned um, that you're very extemporaneous, very um, improvisational as a personality. And then you said, but I probably also need to be on the other end to be more intentional um, before, let's say, a meeting. What, what would be some of the things that, um, if you have a, a meeting coming up in your mind, what would be some of the things that you would start to think about such that you would have the impact that you want to have through the, through the video um, that maybe you wouldn't have thought about before when you, you didn't have to do it through video. Yeah. So, you know, I've always been very intentional, but I've been able to have roles that allow me to use some of my personal qualities to feel like I was preparing every minute of every day so I could walk into any room extemporaneously, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think there's, what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can be extemporaneous and intentional. Extemporaneous doesn't mean unprepared. Extemporaneous doesn't mean uh, whimsical or, you know, show me what you got. Um, but I do think that, so this is, this is a bit harder. Yeah. You can't quite read the room. You can't, it's, it's a little harder to whiteboard something out, even if you're using technology. And so what, what I, what I'm having to do, is set clear, clear expectations for meetings. This is what we're going to do in this meeting. This is the result that we want to get to at the end. Do that fairly well in advance. And I find myself several times today kind of stating up front, this is where I'd like to be at the end mm-hmm. of, of, this, of this meeting. Again, that's, you would have told me in January before all this COVID stuff happened that that would be a good practice but it's right. a more important practice now one of the things that you guys have brought up with me and I, I i have been reflecting on this the last week is 
we can't be so intentional about the meetings and I can't dislike the round robin so much that we don't have just the incidental conversation. Right, right, right. Because then we lose, for whatever we picked up by seeing each other's faces, we lost the, the serendipity of some um, interesting idea or the empathy with one of our coworkers, you know, challenging personal environments or, or just the quick little updates. And so we're trying to, um, you know, I'm encouraging people to come to their meetings a few minutes early to replace the time that we would have spent gathering in the hall. Right. And, um, and we're trying to encourage some meetings that are, ha have no, um, no particular agenda, not all that frequently because they're hard to do, but frequently enough that we can just raise things. From what you've just said is, um, you know, I really appreciate the way you look at it as an engineer is that, um, what what we what we're what your job is is as the president or CEO or whatever your title is today, <laughs> uh, you know, entrepreneur is is to really make visible where we're going over the next let's say five ten years, um, both from a um, just from you know what we're going to be doing and also just how we actually behave in the organization. And if I am sitting, you know, let's say four levels down, and maybe four continents across. I need to have as, 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 um, as visible a picture of it as you do. And that I think is what, um, what is going to be separating, let's say the men from the boys or the women from the girls right now in terms of companies that are really going to get it right because we're not together as much. And, and even though that we were together, many uh, leaders still didn't have a good way to right. like, transmit their information. Right. Uh, but, but certainly now, um, it really is important that that picture is, is there because, you know, for the most part, um, you know, in today's world, Brian's never in his office or even if it is, it doesn't matter because I don't even know where your office is. Uh, <laughs> I do want to know, I do want to know what you're thinking and I do want to know where we're going. And I do want to know how, how I am a part of, of where this company is moving. Well, Bitch, I appreciate you calling that out. You, you're in the way of another story. You're reminding me that my previous board chairman pulled me aside one time after a particularly difficult board meeting, which was like all of my other quarterly board meetings where I was behind on some part of revenue and behind on some part of the product. And, and he pulled me aside. He said, look, haven't you seen by now that your quarterly forecasts you're almost always wrong on and you put us in a position where we have to beat you up. He's like, I'm not telling you to forecast better. I'm telling you that you are the world's expert in where your company should be in five years. And none of us can challenge you on that, but you're not telling us where you're going in five years. Uh. You're telling us where you're going to go next quarter. And we're just nitpicking that. And he's like, have that five-year vision, have that five-year vision, communicate that. And yes, the quarterly stuff still matters, but we hired you to get us to five years, not to hold you accountable for what you did in this quarter. Thank you so much. You have been phenomenal. And we'll catch up with you in a five years to see what, uh, years. what, what you've done. Yeah. <laughs> Mitch. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. thank you so much for, uh, for uh, being on the podcast, Brian. I really appreciate it. Really learned a lot. And, and I think it's really grounded a lot of the thinking that we've had. Yeah. Um, seeing some of the practices, seeing the way you think, and I think it's going to really help uh, all of our listeners out there. So thank you very much. Well, thanks for the opportunity. I, I don't feel like I've necessarily figured a whole lot of things out. It's helpful to actually talk them through. And I, I think the reality is 
We just have to be thinking them through and talking them through and learning. And That's right. we should be doing, we should all strive to be continuous learners all the time anyway, but every once in a while, a big shift comes. Right. And we've got to be hyper learners. And um, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to kind of learn out loud with you and uh, share a few of the things that I'm doing. Fabulous. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.